I'm Lisa of Two Sober Chicks. You know, one of my favorite things is when I walk into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, it's speaker night, and I find out that the speaker has over 40 years of sobriety. Please welcome Roy P. Uh, sobriety date is uh, May 3rd, 1982. I just celebrated uh, 41 years uh, earlier this month. You know, amazing, amazing. Never in my wildest dreams would I have imagined that I was going to have such a a long life of uh, sobriety, you know, but uh, all I can say is AA works. Don't drink and go to meetings and follow the program and you will stay sober. So uh, I'm wearing my Navy hat today being Memorial Day weekend. I was, I want, want to honor all our past vets, present vets, future vets. And, you know, I got to thinking when, when you start hitting my age, I'm 74, you, you, you've experienced quite a bit of loss. So I've remember I've been remembering, uh, you know, my parents and my aunts and uncles and and friends and people I met in this program who are gone. But you know, especially I've been thinking about the uh, the people who were here when I got here in, in 1975. I first got here, and uh, I didn't get sober right away. It took me five years to put the plug in the jug. But I am so grateful for for all of those guys. No nonsense, Ed, and Yellow Mike, and Nervous Eddie, and you know everybody had a nickname, uh, and we weren't too politically appropriate back then. But we always loved each other. Love was always there, and uh, that's what makes AA work. We all love each other, and uh, you know, and and we know we know each other as nobody else can, because we're all alcoholics, and we we know what uh, the loneliness and and everything else that we suffer, the remorse and the guilt and all of that. So, uh, so anyway, uh, I like to think, uh, Tina asked me to speak way back in September and I did a real deep, deep, deep dive because I've I've not been one to tell my story very often in sobriety. And I really sat down and uh, put some thought into it and went way back. And, you know, I started thinking about uh, my early family life and we alcoholics often feel like we don't fit in and a partner and everything. And, and, uh, you know, I had polio when I was like four years old, uh, in my left leg. And fortunately it was right about that time that uh, Dr. Salks invent, invented the uh, penicillin as a vaccination that worked. And, uh, it worked for me, you know, I was, I was hundred percent cured and haven't had any problem with it for the rest of my life. But, uh, you know, that there was an apartment, a partner, I think. I have two older brothers <clears throat> and uh, a younger sister who's like six years younger. <clears throat> and I, I I have to admit, my two older brothers always hung out with each other and I wasn't included, you know. <clears throat> and my younger sister was six years younger and my, my parents had really wanted a daughter. So, you know, I was happy for them. But uh, I had this feeling like I, I didn't just really gel into the family but it wasn't like uh it wasn't like there wasn't love there, there was plenty of love and uh and we were we were poor my father was a Hartford policeman you know back in the 50s uh uh the mother didn't work for the most part in American society and they tried to get by on one one salary and uh, four children and a wife and a father on one policeman's salary wasn't really cutting it. So, uh, so we, we grew up pretty poor. I, I wore hand-me-downs pretty much all the way until I was able to 
get a paper route and make some money and buy my own clothes. <laughs> but that's all right. It, it taught me discipline. And I, I never felt like a loner because I did make friends and, uh, you know, I would make friends pretty easily. And, and I had uh, plenty of people that I hung out with that uh, we all got along and had a good time. Strangely enough, when I thought about it, uh, most of my early friends all had a parent who was an alcoholic. And, uh, you know, when when someone would say, well, we can't go to my house today, we all knew what they were talking about. And uh, uh, maybe that, maybe that's what drew us all closer. But anyway, um, it turns out that uh, my father was an alcoholic and uh, I don't think he knew it uh, early on. Uh, my mother must have given him an ultimatum where. Uh, if you drink, I'm going to leave you because I never seen him take a drink till I was like 11 years old. And I uh, came home one day and he was passed out on the back stairs. And uh, I'm telling I'm telling this part about my father's alcoholism because it's really important to my own uh, my own recovery and realization of what alcoholism was and is. And from that from that day, when when he I found him on the back stairs uh our our family was never the same i mean he he went right into instant alcoholism full bore there was no honeymoon period you know so when they talk about the progression going on even when you're not drinking uh it certainly did in his case because it just took right off and uh from that time on uh, we had a drunk a drunk in the house and uh and it was really rough and his his alcoholism uh, caused a lot of destruction in the family. He just couldn't stop drinking. Uh, in the end, uh, he had drank himself psychotic. And in those days, they used to do the electric shock treatments. So by the, by the time they were done with him, I mean, he was just a shell of the man that, that he once was. So, you know, I often told my mother that uh, the reason that I'm sober is I saw what it did to dad. And uh, I drank just like him. And I realized that I had the same disease that he had. And I saw everything that he went through and, and the hell it put him through and the hell it put his family through. And, uh, you know, I, I said, I'm not going to put my family through that. And I don't want to go through that. But, you know, the weird thing about it was uh, you come into AA and you talk about forgiveness and getting over resentments. I, I could not get over the resentment to my father for, for his alcoholism. You know, I, I could forgive myself and I could forgive you and everybody else. But because his was so personal uh, for many years in sobriety, I was still resentful about his alcoholism. And it wasn't until I got to the point where I realized that, he, you know, we, in AA, we say the drinking alcoholic does it for us. And uh, I came to the realization that he did it for me. He showed me exactly what's going to happen to me if I want to keep drinking. And uh, that's why I credit him. Uh, I credit my higher power in AA, but I also credit him with my sobriety. Because had, had I not seen what he went through, who knows if I would have uh, gone through all the, the rough stuff that we have to go through at the beginning. But I knew that I had to uh, because of what I had seen. So let me get to my first drink. The first drink happened between uh, eighth grade and freshman year in high school. Uh, up to that point, it was the greatest thing that ever happened in my life. I took that drink and I just thought it was fantastic, the effect. And uh, I didn't know I was missing anything in my life. But once I felt that, I said, 
man, this is fantastic. I'm, I'm going to do this as often as I can because I really like this. And, uh, you know, that sense of shyness and everything, just the, uh, it just like took all the weight in the world off my shoulders. I just felt really free and, you know, could talk with people and not, not feel uptight about anything. And uh, I said, yeah, this is what I've been missing all my life. So, uh, you know, and, and from that very first drink, uh, until I stopped when I was 32 years old, uh, I was preoccupied with alcohol right from the very first drink. I, I think I just had that really strong, strong genetic disposition. I didn't have to drink a lot for a long period of time. You know, the first drink just triggered it and I was off and running. And uh, so through high school, I got a girl, a, a girlfriend that I really liked in sophomore year. And I really liked her a lot. She was a non-drinker. And uh, she would say, well, all right, you know, on the weekends, you got one night, you can go out drink with the guys and the other night we'll, we'll go out. And I said, well, that's fine. That works for me. You know, I still get to drink with the guys and I get to be with my girlfriend. And, uh, and that was fine. We, you know, we did that all the way through high school. <laughs> but I'll tell you, man, through high school, I, I just couldn't wait for Friday and Saturday so I could go out and party. You know, the week was so long already. And uh, upon graduation, I graduated in 67 and Vietnam was just starting to take off. The draft was on. I had a, I had a winning draft number. I was definitely going to Vietnam. Uh, so the, uh, the recruiter showed up, Navy recruiter showed up at the high school one day. And uh, I said, well, I don't want to go fighting in the jungles. I'm basically a coward. I'd rather be offshore Vietnam than have much of a Navy. And uh, I, I joined the Navy for four years. And uh, all in all, it was a good experience. I learned a lot from it, you know, but uh, it, didn't, it wasn't a good experience as far as drinking went because uh, I was on a Navy destroyer. And uh, back then, uh, the answer to all of life problems in the Navy is to just drink more, you know, and go on to the next port. And uh, so I did that for the for the four years I was in the Navy from, uh, you know, 18 to like 22. But in my second year in the Navy, uh, first year, we, we had a six month deployment to the Mediterranean. And uh, the second year came up and we had another six month deployment coming up. And uh, and my girlfriend, who I was engaged to by then, she had seen the progression in my drinking and uh, she wasn't too hot about me leaving for another six months on top of that. So uh, she decided to end the relationship. And uh, for me, that was an important part in my recovery because uh, I was instantly angry at God, you know, not able to see my part in it or anything else. Uh, I was mad at God for taking away this girl that I really cared for. And later on, when I was to come to AA, you know, at the age of 27, uh, I was, I didn't want to do the God part because I was still angry at him for, for what he had done. And uh, therefore, it prevented me from getting sober for like five years because I just could not get sober without God's help. But I didn't know that. <clears throat> so anyway, I, I didn't blame her for leaving, you know. When, and when I think about it, I never once offered to stop drinking, even when she said she was leaving because of my drinking. I didn't say, oh, honey, I'll stop drinking. I, I just didn't do it. I wasn't ready to stop. I, I wasn't going to stop for anything. So, uh, you know, I did my four years in the Navy and I managed to get my get an honorable discharge and everything. And I I got out uh, right before my 22nd birthday. 
And uh, the, the next period in my life from 22 to 27 uh, is where my alcoholism really took off. Uh, I was a bachelor. I was living with, with four guys that I had met. We had a large house and uh, I was using a GI bill primarily for income and a little part-time job on the side. And uh, what, what we all did, we, we worked hard and we drank hard. And I mean, it was just a, a nonstop five-year bachelor party. And boy, it was insane. And my, my alcoholism really blew out during that five-year period. Uh, it, was, it was when I was uh, 27 that I finally ran into uh, my wife, who I'm still with now. I'm 74 now. Uh, and I ran into my wife at a bar and I said, hey, this is great. This woman really can really drink. <laughs> and I like that, you know, and I'm lonely. I want to have a girlfriend. So uh, so we got together and uh, and and we hit it off, you know, and uh, shortly thereafter, we moved in together and a couple of years later started a family. But uh, let me take a look here. You know, when, when I met her at 27, uh, I knew that my drinking was out of control. Uh, you know, I'd already had a couple of run-ins with the law. Most of my run-ins were always breach of peace, resisting arrest, uh, uh, and stuff like that, stupid drinking type stuff. But uh, there should have been a lot more on there. I mean, there should have been a lot of uh, drunken driving, hundreds of them, you know, waking up on the side of the highway and not even remember being there, not knowing what state I was in. Uh, just I, I was a blackout drinker, and I was living my life in a blackout. But... Uh, when I met when I met my wife, I knew that my drinking was out of control. And she's she's like 18, eight years, eight years younger than I am. I think she was like 19 or 18. She didn't know anything about alcoholism at all. And I was already getting pretty, you know, full-blown alcoholic. Uh, but I it was then that I said, well, you know, I better get a handle on this drinking because I don't want to lose this one. It looks like a good girl here. And uh you know, I kind of blew it with the other one with my drinking. So that was that was when uh, I started to try to to give up uh, drinking. And the first time, my first meeting was uh, a couple of days after St. Patrick's Day, when I was 27 years old, and I gotten up the next morning out of a blackout, and my car was smashed up, and I didn't know how it happened. And, you know, they talk about that sense of impending doom. And I, I had had that for a long time that, you know, it's the bottom of the ninth, man, and a full count. And I'm going to strike out any second here. And, uh, and and I finally did, you know, and the car was smashed. I don't know what happened. So, uh, you know, I can still remember the fear that I had in, in uh, the next couple of weeks, looking at all the papers every day, trying to figure out what happened, this and that. Never really found out there. There was a field on the way home with where uh, somebody had driven through the picket fence and like right off into a cornfield or something. And I, I have a feeling that 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 might have been me, <laughs> probably was. But uh, I started going to AA. But this is how you don't do AA. So I, I knew that. Well, all right, I got to do something. So I was going on Monday night down in Middletown. It was a uh, a step meeting. And uh, they said, if you make coffee, it, 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 it'll, it'll help you stay sober. So I volunteered to make the coffee. I'd get there a little bit earlier. And uh, I did this for about six months, one meeting a week. 
not getting a sponsor, not doing the steps, not reading the big book, just going to the, going to a 12 step meeting and making the coffee and uh, vacation time came up and we went on vacation with one of our favorite drinking couples <laughs> and we went to Lake George and that was a mistake. I didn't even wait till we got to Lake George to buy, to get a six pack. And I, you know, I just told my wife, I said, uh, and I don't think we were even married then. I said, uh, I'm going to get a six pack and, uh, you know, for the ride. And she didn't say anything. She's all right, all right. You know, so, uh, so I did that and I got up there and after about four beers, I had a headache. The next day I had like 18 beers and a half a pint, you know, and I was off and running for five years. And I, I went back to that, uh, I went back to that meeting because I still had another one more Monday for my coffee commitment. And uh, I told him my thinking, my thinking at the time was, well, obviously AA works. I haven't had a drink in six months. So uh, I'm going to drink. And if it gets bad, I'll come back. <laughs> and there was an old timer there and he pulled me aside and he said, uh, let me tell you something, son. He said, if you're a real alcoholic and you take a drink, there's no guarantee you're ever going to make it back here. And uh, truer words were never spoken. So I, I was to find that out over the next five years because I there was no way I was going to string anything like six months together. Uh, I was in and out continuously for five years, constantly surrendering, you know, hitting bottom, saying, that's it. You know, this is it. I'm back. And uh, <clears throat> within a couple of weeks, I'd be drinking again. I just could not stop drinking. But I was angry at God. And I, I wanted to do it with uh, knowledge and willpower and without God's help. And it, it just wouldn't work, you know. And this went on for like five years. And uh, finally, we got to a point where uh, we, we had our first child. And uh, Wendy was, you know, Wendy was a great mom. As soon as she, as soon as she got pregnant, uh, she stopped drinking and uh, through the pregnancy and everything. And even when a child was born, she, she drank very little. And uh, she said to me one day, you know, she said, this was about eight months after my daughter was born. She said, you know, ever, ever since our daughter has been born, uh, you never missed a beat. You're still drink, you're still partying and drink like, a, like we never had a kid. You know, every day is just a big party. And she says, I'm here doing all this work. <clears throat> and she said, I think I'm gonna join you. And they talk about that in, in the big book, you know, some wives get so frustrated, they just say, all right, I'm going to join you. And boy, I, I couldn't handle that. You know, I, I mean, you, she's got to stay sober to take care of the kid. And, and plus, I didn't want her, I didn't want to be dragging her into the, into this uh, alcohol bit. So that really affected me pretty deeply. And it got me, it got me thinking. And uh, along the, about the same time, we were pretty poor. She hadn't been at work for a while for, you know, probably about a year, year and a half. And I said, do you think you could take a part-time job at night so we can make ends meet a little bit more, you know, help, help with the financial situation. And she had seen how I drank and knew that I was a blackout drinker. But like I said, she was very young and just didn't know and didn't understand. And, and uh, she said, yeah, she said, all right, but she said, you got to you got to vow to me that you're not going to drink when you're watching Erica. And I swore, you know, up and down and I will not drink, I promise you, and this and that. So so she took a job and went, 
and you know, like within a day or two, you know, I'm sitting there and my daughter's sleeping and I'm saying, well, you know, I can have one or two beers and uh, we all know what that means. You know, for this alcoholic anyway, I can't have one or two of anything. You know, I want to get obliterated. <clears throat> so I have to admit that, you know, I had I had a couple of times there that I, that I was, you know, I was intoxicated watching my daughter. And uh, there were a couple of times before that where my wife had joined me in drinking. And I'm ashamed to admit we were both really intoxicated with, with an infant in the house. And uh, I found those things, those things really drove my bottom home to me more than, more than anything, more than all the things that had happened to me, like a, a bed fire and almost drowning and, and all these other things. They, they didn't phase me at all, but uh the phase that uh you know we could endanger my my daughter uh i just couldn't tolerate that so uh yeah that that helped me hit bottom and it was right about that time that uh, i had a three-day spree with uh crossroads really cheap amphetamine way back then in the late 70s early 80s real garbage drug but i had like 100 hits of it <clears throat> and uh, so i went like on a three-day I liked them because usually I went black out if I was taking a stimulant. That's why I liked it. My drug of choice was amphetamine. Uh, not drug of choice. Alcohol was my drug of choice, but I like to back it up with an amphetamine. And uh, that just makes for one real crazy person. <laughs> so, yeah, I had a real th bad three-day run. Uh, terrible. And uh, I had already, you know, I had already been having all these thoughts about, I just can't be drinking. No, I can't be doing this no more. And uh, I remember the, the last morning I came downstairs, down the stairwell, and my my wife was at the bottom of the stairs after that three-day run. And, and uh, she looked at me and just said, you are insane. And I said, I know. And, and that was it. That was it. Like the next morning, and, and yet the next morning, there I am, like at 4.35 in the morning. I used to work for an early morning newspaper. I'm cracking, I'm cracking some beers. And uh, the sun was coming up. I was at Trinity again, College in Hartford, which is on a cliff overlooking where the sun comes up. And uh, all, all of a sudden, uh, my whole van just filled up with this soft green light. And uh, and I gave up. I surrendered. I, I just said, I cannot do it. God, please help me. And before I could even complete that thought, I just felt his presence. And I felt a total complete complete. Uh, empathy and compassion and understanding and i had a sense that uh, my drinking problem was going to be taken care of and i but and i also had a sense with it that uh you know i was to go to aa and stay in aa and uh that that was really strong but but i definitely had that sense you know and uh boy i you know i thought i was hallucinating i, I got out of the van and walked around it a couple times and got back in and a green light green uh light was still there and uh lasted lasted for like maybe five minutes and uh that was it i haven't had a drink since that moment you know so i i call it like a bill i, I had like a bill wilson uh vital spiritual experience type moment and uh in aa comes of age in the back they talk about that and they say roughly 10 percent of alcoholics have a, an experience like bill wilson had and the other 90 percent we have that spiritual awakening uh, that we arrive at as we work, go through the steps and work the steps. But uh, 
that was it. So I came back to AA and uh, the, the obsession was lifted and I couldn't believe it. I, I was no longer preoccupied with the next drink and, and I didn't crave it. So uh, I started going to AA and uh, I didn't have any faith and I didn't have any belief that God was going to save me, even though I had that experience. So I still had to work on all the steps to, uh, to build a relationship with a higher power that I could trust and depend upon. Uh, to deal with life so that I didn't have to have alcohol and and drugs to numb everything, you know, and, uh, and, and that's what I've done. And that's what I've continued to do all these years. So, so now I was in AA for the long run. Let's see how we're doing here. All right, you got time. Uh, so early sobriety, you know, the, the, uh, the first couple of years of sobriety for me were really tough. I was on an emotional roller coaster up and down all over the place. Uh, couldn't figure anything out, but, uh, but, but I knew that I wasn't going to drink no matter what. Uh, I had a, uh, I had a company van at the time. I worked for the, for the Hartford current and I had a company van with free gas. So as I was going to the meetings, I saw people who needed rides and didn't have a ride. And they say, Hey, if you want a ride, give me a call, you know, and I was going to a meeting every day. I went to a meeting every day for the first couple of years. And uh, some nights of those, I probably wouldn't have not gone to a meeting, but people called me. And I said, oh, all right, I'll come and get you. <laughs> and uh, it worked. I mean, it kept me going to the, to the meetings for the first couple of years. And, uh, and uh, you know, I had gotten a sponsor in the meantime, and I was working the steps the best I can. So I, I got through the first couple of years. But you know what? I was still really angry. I had anger issues and I couldn't understand why I was so angry still. I'm going to AA for two years, haven't had a drink, trying to work the steps the best that I can, uh, but still angry. So I, I got a counselor and uh, my insurance happened to fall where I had 26 meetings a year and it just happened to fall perfectly where I had 26 in one year, and then we were in January at 26 for another year. So I had like a whole year of uh, one hour, one hour a week meeting with a, with a counselor. And uh, that was really good. That was like a one year fourth step where we left no stones unturned. We looked at everything. We discussed everything. And, uh, you know, at the end of the year, I was still angry, <laughs> but not as angry and uh, I had learned a lot about myself, and I had learned a lot about my triggers, and I had another year of sobriety, and uh, I had developed more tools. So my experience with anger has been uh, the longer I have stayed sober and reaped the benefits of sobriety and turned my life around and had good things happen in my life, my anger has dissipated. So I don't know if my anger at the beginning was just because I was angry because I'm an alcoholic and I wanted... I knew that I had to get sober, but I didn't, I didn't want to get sober. I never really wanted to get sober. I knew that I had to get sober. So maybe I was angry because I had to get sober. <laughs> but, uh, but once I experienced all the benefits of sobriety and, and my life kept getting better and better and the rewards came into it, uh, my, my anger did dissipate. But it didn't happen overnight. And it cost me a lot of concern. I, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't know why I was angry. I didn't have any reason to. I mean, I didn't have a rough childhood by any means. Not like a, a lot of other people have. And 
you know, I didn't have bad, I didn't have bad luck in the family. Things, things were all pretty good. It was just, uh, just me, I guess. So, uh, let's see here. I had my spiritual experience. I surrendered. I had the uh, early sobriety. Oh, the first couple of years of sobriety. I, so no booze in the house. It was right about, I, I got sober on May 3rd. And it was like right about this time, three weeks later, I cut the grass and I came in the house and opened the fridge and I was, all the beers were there sweating, looking at me because my wife was still drinking. She's not an alcoholic. And uh, I, I knew right then, I, I told her, I said, you know, I said, I don't think I'm going to be able to get sober if we have uh, beer in the house. If every time I open up the fridge, I'm looking at a beer. I said, I know it's not fair for me to ask you, but do you think you can only drink when you go out with your friends and not keep anything in the house? And she said, oh, I'll do better than that. She said, I'll just stop drinking. And she did just like that. And that blew my mind. <laughs> I said, how in the world do you do that? Because she was a heavy drinker, but she was not an alcoholic. And it was no problem for her to stop drinking. And every once in a blue moon, she would have a glass of wine with my mother on Christmas. But it just wasn't a big thing. And uh, that's what I couldn't understand, because when I stopped drinking, I felt it was the end of the world. Uh, so anyway, you know, th that was one of the things. The other thing that I did in early sobriety was uh, I had to say goodbye to all the friends that I loved, all my drinking friends. And we had a big crew of them and we had a lot of fun with them over the years. But I told her, you know, I, I said, we got five years here where I've been trying to stop drinking, but still going out with our old friends while they're drinking. and. Uh, I just can't seem to get them to drink the uh, iced tea. You know, I always end up drinking the beer and the shots. So uh, I said, I said, I want to part company with all those people. And uh, she said, all right. You know, she was willing to. And I called them all up and told them I love them. But uh, I said, I got to get sober. And I can't get sober if I'm around people that are drinking. And most of, most of them, even though they were alcoholics, they understood. Because they were alcoholics, but they were telling me that I had to quit drinking. Because they knew that, you know, I was just out of control constantly. So, uh, so, I, so, you know, after the first couple of years, I kind of like just settled into uh, about 17 years or so of uh, going to work. I had a good job. I had gotten a job at the post office. And uh, I could go to work. I was doing my three meetings a week, raising a family, working overtime. Uh, I had I had my sponsor. My sponsor and I went to all the meetings together and everything, talked on the phone almost every day. And uh, after about 17 years, uh, my sponsor uh, uh, had a really rough depression and went into a depression and left left AA. And for me, that was like a divorce. You know, <laughs> it was it was really rough and I, I wasn't going to use him as a sponsor anymore if he's not going to AA and he was kind of down on AA and he was downing it. And uh, I sure couldn't have that because AA was saving my life. You know, I, I couldn't have a sponsor who didn't believe in AA and was downing it. So it was the beginning of a rough period. And it was about this time that uh, I went through the empty nest thing, but both my daughters had moved out and, uh, you know, everything was good. They just moved out. They, finished your school and everything else. And uh, and all of a sudden, uh, I woke up one day and I was completely dissatisfied with everything. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I guess it was like a, you could call it a midlife crisis. But uh, 
for me, it was also kind of a spiritual crisis because, uh, you know, who am I to say that, you know, after 25 years of marriage or something, I just want to walk out on it. You know, AA had already taught me that I am the problem and my inability to form a true relationship with anybody. And there was no reason for me to even have that attitude. You know, nobody, uh, my, my wife had, had always been great. And here I am, you know, I'm just kind of like thinking, boy, it'd be nice to be like 30 years old again and out and dating and everything. And uh, without the alcohol, of course, I, I know that I couldn't drink, but uh, it created quite a spiritual uh, crisis for me to uh, to realize the deepness of my uh, self-centeredness and selfishness uh, at that point that I would even consider that. But I seriously considered it. And and I was I was hung up with that for about two years. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't want to go to AA because I didn't want to hear anything they were talking about. I wanted to go out and, and party <laughs> is what I wanted. And I couldn't seem to shake it. And I stopped sharing. And uh, I was just sitting in the back of the meeting. And I don't know, maybe some of my sponsors' negative talk about AA had gotten to me. And uh, I would sit in the back and kind of badmouth things in, in the back of my head. And uh, it was a terrible situation for two years. But I would not stop going to AA because I knew that if I didn't go to AA, I probably would drink. And, uh, you know, I told myself, you just got to keep going till you get a turnaround here. And uh, and also, AA always told you, if you're not sure, don't do anything. So I didn't do anything. <laughs> just kept going to AA when I can and uh, prayed, prayed like a son of a gun for two years because I did have my relationship with my higher power. And I prayed to get straight. But... Uh, you know, I had to get out of my own way. I had to uh, move my juggernaut of self-will and self-centeredness. And I was surprised at what a mountain it was, even after 20 years of sobriety. But uh, I finally found it. I finally got connected with a meeting that I liked. And it was a discussion meeting. So, uh, and you know, so here I was. I had like 19, 20 years sobriety. And uh, I started going there and, and I started talking again. The thing with, with sharing is if you stop sharing, it's really, really hard to start again. And I mean, you people who know me, you won't believe that I, I, I was ever quiet. But, <laughs> but uh, you know, I, I went for almost two years without opening my mouth at an AA meeting. I would just sit in the back and not say anything. But, uh, but I got reconnected at a, at a meeting in Suffield and uh, it was a discussion meeting and it was really good for me. And I... I was finally able to start talking again about some of the things that have been plaguing me. And uh, I moved on to the Windsor Recovery Club and started going to meetings there. And there was a guy there who, who showed up who would uh, often quote like one or two pages out of the big book verbatim would on whatever the topic we were talking about. He would just fall right into the big book and without picking it up and uh, just re recite two pages or so. And I said, well, you know, I can't get Bill Wilson as a sponsor. This guy's the next closest thing. So uh, so I asked him, you know, I said, George, would you be my sponsor? And uh, he said, the only way I know how to sponsor someone is to bring them through the big book in a 12 and 12. He said, that's that's all I can do is, is you know, sit down and read the message with you. So I said, fine. And, th and that's what we did. I got to tell you, it was a really an eye-opening experience for me uh, to be exposed to the program in the manner that he did it, 
where we used the big book and the 12 and 12. He was from California and he told me that's the way most of the people in California do it. But, uh, you know, my, my sobriety, even most of my early sobriety in, uh, in Connecticut would, would be scattered around because we'd go to step meetings. But one week you might be at a meeting that was on step one. And next week you might be at a meeting that was on step 11. There weren't a lot of big book meetings in, in the Hartford area when I got sober in uh, 1982. And, and, and I wasn't hitting them. We were hitting mainly discussions and, uh, and step meetings. So when I was sat when I was sat down with George and he exposed me to this program from beginning to end, right from the doctor's opinion all the way to the page, end of page 164, along with the 12 and 12, in one co cohesive, uh, continuous movement, you know, no jumping around, no skipping, just from beginning to end, it was a total unit. This is the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. It had a profound effect on my life. And it, and it convinced me that this is the way, you know, for me to, to uh, initiate other people into the program and to sponsor people. I had sponsored people in the first 20 years, and some of them stayed sober, but I, I didn't have a burning desire to do it. And I wasn't using a big book under 12 and 12. It was like, let's go to these meetings and this meetings. You know, my problem in my first 20 years was too much fellowship and not enough program. And after I met George and, and he introduced me to the program in a way it should be, these past 21 years has been a lot of program and some felt, you know, and some fellowship, but mainly program, mainly reaching out to the newcomer and saying, hey, there's a way out of that trap that you're in, you know, and. Uh, yeah, it's been it's been wonderful, it's been wonderful. Uh, so, you know, when we got to step 12. George was really insistent upon step 12. And uh, he said, he said, no, you got to go out there and uh, 12 step other people. And I said, well, uh, I said, you know, my program still has too many flaws in it. I'm, I'm not ready to 12 step people. And he, he said, no, you go out there and 12 step people. And the irony of it is by 12 stepping other people is how our programs grow. You know, I, I never would have said, all right, I'm at the point now where I can sponsor people, you know, but like George said, go out there and do it. And it, by doing so, I've grown so much in the last 21 years. Uh, been so many great experiences with so many alcoholics. So to wrap it up, when I was drinking, my, my life was like the scare house at the at the horror at the uh, amusement park with just one flashback to the next. I, I was living one uh, blackout to the next one, bordering on uh, schizophrenia and paranoia. And uh, now uh, my life is like a continuous flow in sobriety. I, it's not all fragmented. I've been through all the life cycles, you know, been married, seen my children get born, uh, raised them, worked all that time at the post office, retired. I've been retired for 10 years. You know, lost my parents and all my aunts and uncles and everybody. Uh, my own mother had had cancer when I was like 25 years sober. And I was so glad that I was sober that I could help her through that. Uh, that the first time that she had it and I brought her to all her appointments and everything. And, you know, just tickled pink to be sober, to be there for her because she was always there for me. And uh, she she had her she had a lung removed and then she had five more good years. But then, unfortunately, the cancer came back and she passed away. 
but uh, even through the second time that, that the cancer uh, reappeared, I was able to be with her through that and uh, to stay with her and even be with her on the last night she was here. And, and I was so thankful to God that, uh, you know, he allowed me to be sober, uh, to be there for the people that I love. And, uh, you know, I've seen my daughters marry and they have grandchildren and I, my grandchildren are uh, 13, 11 and six. And they've, they've never seen me take a drink. You know, my daughters have never seen me take a drink. So I've had a wonderful life in AA and I'm, I'm eternally grateful for it. Thank you all for listening. Oh, thank you, Roy. One of the things I love the most about listening to Roy is I just get such peace and calm. Thanks for that. That's Roy P. on Two Sober Chicks Speaker Series Podcast. Thanks for joining us and have a great 24.